We have been going through the book of Luke for years now. And last week we jumped into what Jesus himself has to say about the end of the world. We've got a lot of people talking about the end of the world. I'd like to know what Jesus has to say because I believe he knows a little more than most. What does Jesus say about the end of the world? And he has so much to say about it that we only got through half of it last week as we dug into the first half of the chapter where he tells us what you should expect. Expect it to be happening more and more and more. Anybody remember what he said? What should we expect? Deception, disaster, persecution. What? Tell Joel Osteen. Yeah, that, that, that doesn't sound, what? Again, reasons to listen to Jesus and not other people. Deception, disaster, persecution. And it sounds like he knows exactly what he's talking about, doesn't it? Because if you're paying attention at all, 2,000 years later, it looks like we're right on track for what Jesus said would be happening. But now today, I want us to dig into the second half of the chapter where he's going to tell us what we should be doing. What should you expect? And then in light of that, what should you do? Because, oh, we got a lot of people, even Christians today, blogging, writing, podcasting, what they say we should be doing and thinking and feeling. But when I read my Bible and when I listen to my Savior, it doesn't sound anything like what he said we should be doing. Oh, let's listen to Jesus so that you're not surprised by what keeps happening. He doesn't want you surprised. Listen to Jesus so you're not surprised by what keeps happening. But now today, oh, let's listen to him so that you're not ashamed for what you were doing when you stand before him on that final day. You don't have to be surprised now or ashamed then if you listen to him. Let's do it. Go back to Luke 21, Luke chapter 21, and let's pick it up in verse 25. Luke chapter 21, verse 25. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing what? Near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree. All the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and know that summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Now let me help you. Remember last week I said, when you read prophetic into the world passages, you gotta be wearing what? Bifocals. Because they'll mix back and forth what's about to happen close at hand, within to the world. Two ways we can take this verse. He's either shifted again 
to those that are going to be right there when Jerusalem is destroyed in AD 70? Or there's another possibility. Generation is the Greek word genos. It's very generic, and it just means people, mankind in general. Until these things happen, there's going to be people here on this earth until these things happen. Either way, heaven and earth will pass away. These things are going to pass away, but my words will not pass away. When you get a hold of God's word, you've gotten a hold of something eternal that doesn't change, that isn't going to pass away. Verse 34, but watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Now we know he's talking about the end of the world and not Jerusalem in verses 20 that we saw last week in AD 70. He's saying all, every single person. What I'm about to tell you is gonna happen is gonna happen to every single person. Verse 36, but stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are gonna take place and to stand before the Son of Man. So as we get closer to the end, do you think we're closer to the end? As we get closer to the end, what does Jesus say we should be doing? I could summarize it for you this way. Get excited, get serious, get ready. Get excited, get serious. Now, by serious, I don't mean we can't laugh, you can't have levity, you can't. But be sober-minded, be clear-minded, think clearly, know what's going on. Get excited, get serious, get ready. Let's look at the first point. He says he wants you to get excited. This is going to sound weird. In the midst of chaos. We tend to get excited when everything's getting better. We tend to get excited when it looks like things are matching what I would hope would happen. We get excited when you think this will be a better world for my children and grandchildren. That's actually not what he's saying. Get excited in the midst of chaos. Look at the horror of what's going on in verses 25 and 26. And there will be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations in perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. In other words, all hell is going to break loose. And everything that you thought was stable that you could count on is going to begin to come unhinged. I keep telling you to live not counting on these things. And we're going to find out who was living wrong. If your stability, if your sense of security, if your sense of peace had anything to do with right here, right now, you're going to be in the category of Fainting with fear and foreboding. What is coming on the world? What is coming on the world? What is coming on the world? The words he uses to describe this, 
what people are feeling, what unbelievers are going to feel in verse 25 and 26 are some of the strongest words in all the New Testament. In fact, I think it's interesting. It's almost like the Holy Spirit saved some of the most powerful, unusual words to describe the most powerful, unusual time we'll ever face. He uses words that you don't see all through the New Testament. One of them's only used once and one of them's only used another time. The word distress is a Greek word that means a deep-seated anguish that is debilitating and overwhelming because it comes with such a sense of terror and anxiousness that can find no relief. It's debilitating. I'm anxious and I sense terror and I can't find relief. I can't find relief. I can't find anything that settles me down. I can't find anything to hold on to. Woo, distress. And the word perplexity is a Greek word that means confusion in its most severe form. The word has a sense of being driven to the point of insanity or madness because you cannot control or stop the chaos. You just can't figure out how to stop this. How, how can I control this? How can I distress and perplexity? I don't know what you're thinking, but as I watch the news, as I watch our world, as I look around, we've got a world today that I believe we've got people who take delight in creating chaos right now. Chaos, unrest, tear it down, destroy, resist, anarchy. We've got people who take delight in creating chaos. Guess what? A day is coming when they will go mad from not being able to control it or stop it because God will say, you like chaos? He's going to bring chaos like they've never seen before. And they won't be the ones at the center of it, creating it or causing it. And they'll be like, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop, make it stop. And they can't make it stop. But look, here we got verse 25 and 26. Woo. Look at what's going on in verse 28. Radically different. Here's how I would say it to you. In verse 28, we're going from madness to gladness. For the people of God. Verses 25 and 26, you guys are describing unbelievers. It is unbelievers who will be filled with fear and a foreboding sense of what is coming on the world. What is coming on the world? We're the ones that will say, I know what's coming. And he told us it was coming. And I know who's in control. And I know this is only bringing us closer to the end. Very different for the people of God. God, because when you have eternal life, you know that God is in control and about to do what he promised to do, which was make all things new. But get a hold of this. The precursor to making all things new is bringing to an end what we now have. So for us, us, it's like, oh my goodness, it's happening. It's happening. This is come. So I know there's some Christians that got this odd theology that things are going to get better and better and better. Like read your Bible, Bible, Bible. I don't see that. Yeesh. But they're out there. Some of them are super smart and write big fat books. 
if you're hoping things are going to get better and better and better, you're really going to be disturbed. I don't hear Jesus saying that. I don't see the rest of the Bible saying that. We're the ones that know as it begins to unravel and come apart and look like no one's in control, we know who is in control and he's about to do what he promised to do. Hallelujah. I'm not holding on to this. I'm not saying, how do we fix this? How do we make this last? Woo! It's coming. New heaven, new earth, no more sickness, no more cancer, no more confusion, no more sin, no more death, no more Satan, no more hell. Give it up for Jesus. It's coming. It's coming. And so, ooh, the people of God, look in verse 28. Now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. The word redemption means to purchase or to buy back. You realize he didn't just purchase us and buy us back from slavery to sin. He purchased for us a truckload of blessings. You realize you do not yet have all you're going to have. You don't have the fullness of redemption. You don't have everything you're going to have. Oh, but it's coming. It's coming. It's coming. Right now you have a down payment. You have a pledge. You have a foretaste. We're enjoying the appetizer. I don't know about you. I like appetizers. Last night we went out to a new Cuban restaurant. I got ceviche or something. Appetizer. That's not all I wanted. I also got some massive Cuban steak. The Cuban steak's coming. Right now this is the appetizer. We just have a foretaste. We have a shadow of what's to come. The fullness of Jesus Christ. No more glass darkly. Seeing him face to face. New heaven, new earth, redeemed body. Oh, it's coming. And so for the people of God, they're like, all right. All right, this just means we're more to the end. We're more to the end. We're more to the end. Straighten up. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. That Greek word right there for straighten up is a word that means, I like this, to go from slouching. It literally means go from slouching to standing up straight because you know what's coming next. You know, I like football. One of my favorite things about watching football, and you don't get this in person at the game, but on my 52-inch screen, there in my den with surround sound, it's like I'm at the game. Vicky's like, why so loud? I want it to be like you're there. You're there. Especially when they score, I'm just like. It was already loud to begin with because I can't hear. It really gets loud when something good happens. But here's one of my favorite things. When there is a turnover, everything changes. The team that thought, oh, we're it. You're not it. There's no hope now. There's a turnover. There's a 57-yard field goal with six seconds left. You're not going to fix this. You're not going to change this. You're not going to overcome this. Everything just changed. What do they do? Oh, often the camera stops zooming in on the million-dollar players, and it'll choose someone in the stand. It'll pan out into the stands and choose a fan. And they'll zoom in on a fan of that team that thought they were it, that thought they were going to win, that thought they had kicked 
our butts. Oh, sorry, little kids. Don't say that at home. It's your bottom. And, and here, literally, here's what it looks. Because the biggest fans get the best seats, right? Which means they're usually right down near the wall. Here's what it always shows. Literally. You know, earlier when, when, when they had the ball, they're banging the wall, creating all the chaos they can. They're frothy. Ha, ah, it's us. It's us. It's us. It's not you now. Yeah, one of my favorite ones is they'll show someone like this. They show women like this all the time. Women, you do this. No movement, no talking. It's just like. And then it'll shift to a fan that roots for the team that just did what they did, got what they got. Everything. Are they sitting? Are they slouching? They are standing up straight. Heads are back, high-fiving each other. That's us. We're on the team that knows who wins. He's promised it. And as it gets worse and worse and worse and worse, we know it is coming. Stand up straight. Raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. Near, near. And you can do that when you understand, you guys. Chaos precedes the coming of our king. Chaos precedes King Jesus. The worse it gets, the closer he is. The worse it gets, the closer we are to receiving everything that he promised. Your redemption draws near. But oh, he tells us something else. Number two, get serious. Get serious. Oh, in the midst of distractions. Do we live in a world of distractions? Whew, everything in this world just sucks me down like a magnet to right here, right now, right here, right now, right here, right now. Look at what I'm talking about in verse 34. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts... Look at me for just a minute. When the Bible uses heart, it's not just talking about feelings. We live in a culture where heart is Valentine's Day. When the Bible uses the word heart, it's talking about mind, emotion, affection, motive, control central for a human being. What matters most, what matters most, what you treasure, what you prize, why you do what you do, heart. Lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness, and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. The New Living Translation says, don't let your hearts be dulled. The word right there for dulled is a word that means drowsiness or sluggishness. If you're not careful, you can be living sluggish. You can be living dull. You're not sharp. You've been dulled by some things in this life. In other words, letter A. He's saying, do whatever you can to keep thinking clearly. Do whatever you can to keep thinking clearly. Oh, we live in a world that is filled with ways that you can dull your thinking. Stay zoned out. Or in the words of Pink Floyd, 
comfortably what? Numb. Does our world not offer us dozens and dozens of ways to just be zoned out, to be comfortably numb? And there's a temptation to go there because sometimes the world is so upsetting. You think, I just, I'd like to zone out. I'd like to just feel numb. He's like, don't do it. Don't do it. Especially as we get closer to the end. You don't want to live zoned out, numb, dull. Don't be doing something. In other words, don't be doing something that takes the edge off of your mental clarity. Don't do something that takes the edge off your mental clarity or dulls your heart awareness of what's really going on. And I know it's painful and frightening to know what's going on unless you know him. So we're gonna find out who really knows him. Who knows about him and who knows him. The people who know him are willing to know what's going on without freaking out. There's a temptation to just zone out, allow your mind to be dulled. And this can be a fine line of distinction, you guys, for us. And you see it in the Bible. There's this fine line of distinction of pleasures that he gives us. Is he a killjoy God? Is he against pleasure? All you have to do is think about taste buds and the number of flowers there are and all that he gives us. He's not against pleasure. But guess what? Almost every, I could drop the word almost, every pleasure taken to excess can become a sinful false refuge that dulls your senses. Starting with alcohol. The Bible does not teach it's a sin to drink alcohol. The Bible relentlessly warns us, do not be drunk, do not be given to dissipation. And abuse of alcohol is one of the top ways that people choose to check out and stop feeling or thinking what they should be feeling. That's why I use the word dissipation. You realize the word dissipation in the Greek literally is a hangover. You're just hungover. You can't even think clearly. You feel terrible. Ooh, he's like, don't, don't, don't live like that. God's not against pleasure, even the pleasure of alcohol, but he is against any pleasure that begins to rule you. It owns you now or becomes a false refuge, a place you escape to keep from thinking or feeling and doing what you should be doing. Here's why this matters so much, because here's how God designed us as human beings. What you think and feel will eventually determine what you do. So if you shut down on thinking and feeling, all that you should think and feel, staying clear, alert, aware, it won't be long and you won't be doing what you should be doing. You know I drink in moderation. I try not to talk about it all the time because I know there are people who struggle with this. So hear me, your pastor saying, if you don't know how to use it in moderation as a simple pleasure, and this is taking you places you shouldn't go, you heard it from me, you should stop altogether. You should quit. Maybe it's in your family history. Maybe it's, there are all kinds of good reasons to not drink alcohol. Don't judge those who do, but oh my goodness, for you, it may be that you don't know how to use this in moderation, it always ends up taking you further than you should have gone. And you're using it in a way that violates this verse. It dulls you, it zones you out, 
It owns you. It rules you. Get help. You don't want to live dull. You don't want to live unaware. But if you're sitting here saying, this has been fun because I have no problem with alcohol. Yeah, talk to those people. There are other ways to do this. You realize there's other ways to be guilty of violating this verse, to be dull, to have your awareness subdued. You could do this by abusing prescription drugs. You could do this by vaping excessively. You could do this by sleeping excessively. You see what's happening? You sleep us in. But there's some people who just, that's my escape. I just sleep. You could sleep excessively. You could binge on Netflix. Is it wrong to watch a television show? Is it wrong to have a favorite series? But to watch 10 episodes, 12 episodes, to spend the entire weekend. I've had a bad day or I had a bad week at work. I don't like what's going on in my marriage, my family, the kids. And I just Netflix the whole weekend. That's probably a sin. You're seeking to escape and dull and not be aware of what you should think or do or feel. You could eat to the point of gluttony. So you're drowsy, you're heavy, you're just eating. You could play computer games. Ooh, this is a, this is a bad one in our day. You could play computer games all day long or even for days on end and you just lose yourself and aren't thinking or feeling or doing We're headed into one of these seasons, right? Thanksgiving for me is one of those. Often it's too much rich food, right? And too much football. Even I can get footballed out. I'm just footballed out. Have you ever noticed how once you watch a lot of TV, I don't know you, like you, I just feel awful. I just need a brisk walk. I need fresh air. I just need to turn it off and go do something rigorous. Everything about me is just like, as I stick leftover turkey in my mouth and I eat another piece of cranberry apple pie that is really good that she only makes once a year. But after a while, it's like, I've eaten, I've watched football. It's like, there's all kinds of ways to do this, you guys. Don't, don't live dull or unaware of what is really going on. You don't wanna do anything that begins to blunt your mental clarity or cloud over your awareness of reality. Clarity, reality, clarity. The people of God should be characterized by clarity and reality. But let me, let me bring a caution to some of you. You say, that's right. That's why I watch Fox News all day long to stay in touch with reality. Oh, my friend, shut it off. What the news outlets bring us is a tiny, tiny slice of exaggerated on steroids, someone's agenda of reality. You want reality? Right here's where you find reality. We, we get accused of being those people out of touch with reality because you talk about heaven and hell and things outside of this world and a spirit world. That's reality. You're never more in touch with reality than when you see God's word and he reframes up the temporal against the eternal. That's reality. So be careful how much of, quote, the world's version of reality you take in or you will be depressed. You will be anxious. You will be fearful. You didn't hear me say, try to not know what's going on. Awareness is all you need. Obsession is not what you need, especially if you're not reading this. Keep thinking 
clearly with the grid of God's word. But there's a second thing he presses on us. Number two, letter B. He says, do whatever you can to keep traveling light. So keep thinking clearly, keep traveling light. Keep thinking clearly, keep traveling light. Why? This is not our final home. So some of you, you're, you're living life in a way that you're just piling up stuff. You're just piling up stuff. You're weighed down, you're piled up. You're, you're entangled in so much. Travel light. Look at what he's talking about with the cares of this life in verse 34. Lest your hearts be weighed down with the cares of this life. So you could be guilty of dissipation and dulling your thinking with some false refuge, but you could be guilty of distraction because you're so entangled in everyday, ordinary, right here, right now things. The word cares right there is the word merimnah. It's taken from to divide and mind. Literally, it means a divided mind where you feel pulled in different directions. Distractions, you just pulled in so many different directions. So get this, there's more than one way to get it wrong. You can be so dull that you don't know what's going on. You can be so distracted that you can't see what matters most. Either way will result in the same poor ending. That day will come upon you suddenly like a trap. You're just so tangled up in everyday things of this world. Distracted, distracted. And I'm not even talking about sinful, heinous things. I'm not talking about you're deep into porn or you're, I'm talking about the things this world, everyday, ordinary, things of this world that the world says you and your kids have to be doing. Oh my goodness, you're trying to do too much. You've said yes to too many things. You're chasing after too many things. You say, well, it's not sinful. Okay. But do you need to add one more thing? Are you living light? Are you acting like these are the end times? You're chasing after too many things. You've squeezed too many things into your finite schedule. And here's what I believe is going on. There are other countries where it's harder to live as far as food, shelter, and all that. But there's a simplicity that we don't have. Do you realize the blessings of America come with an Achilles heel of a huge curse? We have too many options, too many possibilities. Oh, we live in a country of options and a culture of FOMO. Fear of missing out. Oh, if others are doing it, I should do it. Everybody's doing it, I have to do it. No. You don't. Your kids don't have to be in four sports. And they aren't getting a scholarship. News alert. She's not that good. They'd like to tell you that, so you keep buying the sparkly outfits and paying the monthly fee and traveling all over God's green earth. It's it's just going to end with almost nothing. But you never had a meal together. You never read the Bible around the table. You hardly ever saw, you know, dad's taking the little boy here and mom's taking the little girl here. Your entire weekends are just spent and I'm just picking on one thing. And you know I like sports, but we used to stay after school and play our sport and ride the late bus home. It involved my parents, not at all. And my dad came to zero of my games and I love him dearly. There. It's like, like it doesn't have, sports has become an idol. 
All kinds of things have taken that, that path. Figure out, you guys, our world and our country is a country of idolatry. What have you been sucked into that has caused you to be so entangled in so much you're distracted and feeling overwhelmed? You can be dull and not even know what's going on. You can be distracted and not even be able to see what matters most. Either way, either way is going to render you useless for the, for the end times, for how you should be thinking and living. So what about you? Do you need to make some changes? Is there a pleasure? So don't just listen to a sermon and feel pricked. Is there a pleasure that has crossed the line and has become more than a pleasure? It's dulling you. It's a false refuge. You go there to not think, to not feel. Might be alcohol, might be food, might be sleep, might be a computer game, might be Netflix. Repent. What do you need to change to feel less dull, to limit? And what about your schedule? Maybe you're so distracted. You're like, I just have no peace. I just have no joy. Could it be? that you're trying to do too much, you've been sucked into too much, you've said yes to, will you look peculiar? Yes, when you step away and you don't do what everyone else is doing, you have to be willing to look that way. But oh, it's worth it for some peace of mind, for some joy, for some perspective, for some priority. Finally, Jesus says, point number three, not just get excited, not just get serious, get ready for the judgment day. Get ready for the judgment day. Look at verse 35. For it will come upon, how many? Say it again. All who dwell on the face of the earth. Oh, listen to me. You may be the king or queen of not showing up at appointments. You're known for it. She forgot, he forgot. Something better came up. Guess what? You will not miss this one. You will not miss this appointment with your creator God. That's why Romans 14 says, for we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. Each of us will give an account of himself to God. You might spend your entire life, my friend, ignoring God, avoiding God, running from God, or even declaring there is no God, but you will end your life standing before the God you said didn't exist. That's where it's gonna end. You can believe in him now and also believe in him then, or you can deny him now, but you will believe in him then. And you will wish that you had acknowledged it now. It's coming. No one's gonna miss this appointment. Oh, and if you're pushing back right now, if you're an unbeliever pushing back, first, I'm so glad you're here. Thank you. Or listening online or at one of the other campuses. But oh, if right now your pushback is, oh, Brad, 
Christians have been saying this forever and it hasn't happened. He's coming. There's going to be a judgment into the world talking about this forever and it still hasn't happened. Do you know why it still hasn't happened? You, you are why it still hasn't happened, unbeliever. He loves you and is waiting for you to come to him. Do you realize he doesn't want to judge people? He doesn't want, hell was created for Satan and the demons. It was not created for human beings in his image. He doesn't want you to spend eternity from him. He doesn't want to pour out his wrath on you. That's why he sent his son. The delay is for you. Let me show you what I'm talking about. Second Peter, second Peter chapter three. You're like, why hasn't it happened? Why hasn't he come? What's going on? Oh, look at second Peter chapter three, beginning in verse three. Go towards the end of your Bible, towards Revelation. It's a little book. You'll find it. Second Peter chapter three. Knowing this, first of all, that scoffers will come. Scoffers will come. In the last days, with scoffing, following their own sinful desires, they will say, where is the promise of his coming? Forever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Skip to verse eight. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. Let me help you with the math. That means it's been two days since Jesus rose again and went back to heaven. It's been 2,000 years to us. Two days, two days. So what's going on? Oh, look at verse nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise. Oh, you guys, we do not have a slow, forgetful, tottering, grandfatherly God. Oh, no. It's not that he's slow. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you. Not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. That God you say you don't believe in loves you so much. He's delaying what we've read about in Luke 21 for you for you. He wants you to come. He wants you to believe. He wants you to repent. He wants you to trust in Jesus. Verse 10, but the day of the Lord will come. It's coming like a thief. And then the heavens, this matches what we were reading in Luke 21. The first earth was wiped out with a flood. You guys, when this happens the second time, it's going to be fire, fire. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. There will be no hiding. There will be no, you may have secrets now. You won't have secrets then. Everything will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved. In other words, he's saying now to you believers, if this is all gonna be dissolved, how should we live as believers? He's gonna tell you. Since all these things are to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, 
waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heaven and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. I'm not waiting for a particular party to get back in control in America. I have my thoughts and I pray to that end. But when it doesn't go that direction, I still live with incredible hope and joy and peace because my real longing is for King Jesus to set up his kingdom. I'm not enamored with any party I see out there right now. I do love King Jesus dearly and he has not disappointed me at all. That's what I'm waiting for. Righteousness will dwell. Oh, don't just drift through life. Don't just amuse yourself to death with a computer game or Netflix. Do not check out, zone out. Do not stay so entangled in right here, right now that that day comes upon you suddenly like a trap. And that's why verse 36 is loaded with truth. Look back in Luke 21 as I close. Luke 21, verse 36 is loaded with truth. Look at it. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place. How do you escape the judgment and wrath of God that's going to take place? Final phrase, to stand before the Son of Man. You realize the only people who are going to stand before the Son of Man are believers. Everybody else is going to fall down in front of him. The only reason believers can stand, oh, this is so good. The only reason that that word stand is a courtroom term. It means you come into his courtroom and you can stand, not because of any righteousness of your own, not because you kept the Ten Commandments, not because you lived, tried to be good and treat people right. You can stand Because of the verdict that he gives you, not guilty, because you trusted in Christ. And when you did, your sins were forgiven. You were given a robe of righteousness that's not your own. You're standing there as an adopted son or daughter with a robe of righteousness so that he can say, not guilty. You trusted Jesus. You You stand. Everyone else falls before him. And it will be too late. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day to put your trust in Jesus. Oh, this makes Christianity so different than every other religion. No other religion has a God who does for you what you could never do for yourself. But Christianity has Jesus, equal to God, taking on flesh, coming into the world to live for us, die for us, Rise again for us. And he's coming back for us. That's unlike any other religion. You can't find this. It doesn't exist. Believer, lift up your head. You're on the right team. He went, the Bible tells us how this is going to end. But start reading his word more and get oriented to the hope that we can have in the midst of chaos. 
Do whatever you can to have mental clarity. Do whatever you can to begin traveling light. And if you need help, get help. We're the church that helps people. We don't just preach sermons and then say, figure it out. I came here 28 years ago saying, let's be a church who helps real people one-on-one behind the scenes when they say, but I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I'm stuck. If you need help getting free from what you are escaping to that's dulling you, if you need help getting untangled from what's distracting you, get it. Because these are the last days. Live with mental clarity and heart awareness. And oh, unbeliever, you will not ignore God forever. You can't ignore him forever. And he loves you and longs for you to come to him. I want you to bow your heads as we close. I want to give an opportunity right now for anyone who doesn't know Christ to receive him as your savior. You can receive Jesus today as your savior or you will face him on that day as your judge. Oh, come to Christ. Believe that he is who he says he is and that he did what the scriptures testify that he did to forgive our sins, to change our eternal destiny, to give us a Holy Spirit that enables us to live radically different. If you're here and you would like to come to faith in Christ. Just pray this simple prayer. Don't even have to pray it out loud. You don't have to walk down the aisle. You don't have to shake my hand. You don't have to give any money. You don't have to get baptized. None of that changes your eternal eternal destiny. You can say right now, oh God, I am a sinner in need of a savior. I could never save myself, change myself, or be good enough. And oh, let me say this right now. Come just as you are. He receives sinners just as they are. Don't leave today saying, well, I'm gonna make some changes in my life. I'm gonna clean up a few things, then I'll, no, you won't. You come to him as you are and he will begin an inside out changing who you are. Oh God, save me, a sinner. I believe I put my trust in Jesus to forgive me of my sins. Have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. In Jesus' name, amen.